Hello, my friends, and welcome back for this week's episode of the Practical Parsha podcast. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn. I hope you are well. And aside for a broken oven, a dryer that's not working properly, my mic, my podcast mic that I regularly use to do these podcasts broke on me this week, but I'm extremely happy about it. I'm happy about it because I was able to use my mic so much that it broke. So that's great news. And next week, I'm looking forward to using my brand new mic, God willing. And until then, I want to give a special thank you to my friend Avrami Braun for letting me borrow his podcast mic. Thank you, Avrami. I really appreciate it. And before we begin, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or just would like to reach out to say hello, please feel free to send me an email at rabbishlomokon, K-O-H-N, at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Vayishlach. And just to give a quick overview of the weekly Parsha, the Parsha begins with Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, being informed that Esau, his brother, is coming to greet him with 400 men. But not to greet him in the sense of saying hello, hello. He wants to kill and destroy Yaakov. Yaakov prepares for his rendezvous with Esau in three different ways. He prepares militarily. He prays. He davens to Hashem. And he also prepares a tribute to give to Esau to appease his anger and hopefully he will calm down. The Parsha also tells us as well of the encounter that Jacob has with the guardian angel of Esau. And the Torah describes to us how Yaakov wrestles with this angel till daybreak and finally he asks him to bless him before he leaves. The Parsha continues with Esau meeting Yaakov. He's overcome with a sense of forgiveness to Yaakov after seeing his family and seeing the gifts. And he wants to stay together with his brother now. Yaakov realizing that being together with Esau is detrimental spiritually to his family, has to extricate himself from being together with Esau at the same time at not insulting him that he doesn't want to be together with him. The Parsha continues with Yaakov eventually separating from Esau and settling in the land of Shechem. While there, Dina, the daughter of Yaakov, is abducted by Hamor, the son of the leader of Shechem, whose name is Shechem. She's raped and held hostage. Shimon and Levi, two sons of Yaakov, avenge Dina's capture and rape by destroying the city of Shechem. The Parsha concludes with the birth of Benjamin, Benjamin, and Rachel's subsequent death, as well as the death of Isaac, Yitzchak, and a detailed chronology of the offspring of Esau. The first idea I wanted to share with you today takes us to the beginning of the Parsha, where Yaakov is preparing for his meeting with his brother Esau. The Torah tells us that Yaakov prepares in three different ways, militarily, prayer, and gifts. Now, if you look at the prayer of Yaakov Avinu, there are many different um, ideas that are brought out from the specific prayer that Yaakov asked Hashem, that asked God to protect him from his brother Esau. And if you look at one of the verses, 
It says, Rescue me, please, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esav, for I fear lest he come and strike me down, mother and children. And the first question which the commentaries raise on the Pasuk, on this prayer of Yaakov, is that why is it necessary for Yaakov Avinu, for Jacob, to repeat, save me from my brother, from Esav? Obviously, he only had one brother, who was Esav. So why is Yaakov repeating the, the words, Miad Achi, Miad Esav? One of the answers that are given to explain the seemingly redundant phrase in the Torah that Yaakov is asking, save me from my brother, from Esav, is that Yaakov was not just praying to protect him from Esav who wanted to destroy him, but also from the Esav that wanted to be his friend and to influence him in a negative way, pretending to be his brother. I wanted to focus on today the wording in the Pasuk that it says, Miyad Achi, Miyad Esav from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, that it says the word miyad twice. And it's brought down from the Megalamukus that there's a toisvis in the tractate Tainus, which brings a verse from Mishlei, from Proverbs, which teaches us that a friend who becomes an enemy is a lot more dangerous than somebody who's not your friend who goes against you. Someone who once was your friend and now is going against you, is trying to fight you, is much more dangerous to a person than someone you never knew. And on the flip side as well, someone who was once your enemy and now you've reconciled with him, you have the ability to become closer with them than the best of friends. And there's a really deep concept here big lesson that we could take out from this week's Parsha. You know, Yaakov Avinu was davening to Hashem, was praying to God, that he should not just save him from Esav, but save him from his brother Esav, from the hand of his brother Esav. From, because he knew that someone who knows you, who's close with you, can, can do a lot more damage than someone who's not familiar who you are. And we see with ourselves, the Jewish nation, unfortunately, our worst enemies have come from within. The people who have made the most problems for the Jewish people have been our own people. And you could even see this manifesting itself today in many different ways, unfortunately. But I think it brings out this message that when somebody is your brother, they're able to do much more damage to you. Now, what lesson does this have for us? What am I trying to bring out from this? So there's a story that Rabbi Pliskin brings down that during World War I, the Russian army had a reputation that when they would enter a city, a pogrom would ensue against the Jewish people who lived there. And Rav Yechiel of Ostrovitsia, when the Austro-German army retreated and the Russians entered his city of Ostrovitsia, he went out with food and cigarettes to greet the incoming army, the Russians, as liberators. He made them feel like they were doing something very important. And because he made them feel good, he was able to save the city from destruction. And really the the lesson I want to bring out here is that when we get into an argument with somebody, 
or get into a fight with somebody. You have the ability to fix that relationship up to better than what it was before. And, and I feel that the, the lesson of the Parsha as well, that you know we know that the people who cause us the most hurt are the people that are closest to us. Those are the people we have the worst fights with, the people who we love the most, that we feel very close to. That's why you see, unfortunately, many times, the people who don't speak to each other for years and years aren't distant friends. They're people who were once very close, family members, siblings, uh, parents and child. Because, unfortunately, the people who are very close with can do the most damage, can sting the most. And I want to bring out here that just like the, the hurt can be so bad, it's the flip side is true as well. That we're able to salvage relationships with people, to reconcile, to fix things up, and to become closer than we were before. So the lesson here I believe for us to take out is that just because we've had difficulties with people in the past doesn't mean that now in the present we can't have a close relationship with them. Granted, there are some individuals who have certain issues that it's impossible for us, but for people we know who for sure we were once close with, we shouldn't think that things that have happened can prevent us from going forward in the future. And we see even on the international scene, countries that once were bitter enemies have become close allies. So to us as well, we're able to turn things around to take something, to take a disagreement and take out of that a closer relationship than we had before. The second thought I wanted to share with you today takes us to the story of Yaakov wrestling with the angel. So as I mentioned before, Yaakov crosses with his family the river Yabok, but forgets some small utensils on the other side of the river. He goes back, and when he goes back to collect his belongings, he has an encounter with the guardian angel of Esau. And the Torah describes to us how Yaakov wrestles with this guardian angel who's trying to destroy him the whole night, And finally, by daybreak, when the angel sees that he cannot overcome Yaakov, he asks Yaakov to let him go so he could go bless Hashem. He could bless God. And Yaakov asks him, what's your name? The angel says, why do you ask me my name? And he proceeds to give Yaakov a blessing. And it's very interesting. Yaakov asks him a question. The angel doesn't answer the question. And then he gives Yaakov a blessing. Now, the commentaries tell us that this battle royale between the angel of Esau and Yaakov has many deep significances to it because the guardian angel of Esau is really the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, is, is, is the Malach is the angel of death, is the Satan, and he's all encompassed into one and he represents many different things. But on a, on a higher level, on a deeper level, this Malach who was wrestling with Yaakov of Inu represented the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, who was trying to overcome Yaakov. And Yaakov was fighting back, which shows the struggle that we have throughout our lives, fighting with our evil inclination. And what Yaakov was doing when he asked the angel his name, he was saying, what's your name? What's your identity? How do I deal with you? How do my descendants deal with you, Mr. Yetzirah, Mr. Evil Inclination? And And he answers back, why do you ask me my name? And the commentaries tell us that his non-answer was the answer. That what he was trying to tell Yaakov Avinu is that you're trying to figure me out. 
you want an answer of how you could conquer me, of what's my secret, of what's my essence, so that your children, your descendants will have a way of dealing with me? I have no essence. I am different in every generation, for every person. I'm here to try to get you to sin. And the way I manifest myself is different to every single person in every different place and every different generation. And the lesson that we can take out from this encounter that Yaakov has with the angel is a tremendous lesson as an outlook for us that this non-answer which the angel gave to Yaakov is the answer. That every generation, different isms pop up enticing people, telling people that this is the way to live your life. The ways of the Torah are outdated. You know, you have to be hip and with it. You know, thinking about upcoming holiday of Hanukkah, Hellenism swept up a tremendous part of the Jewish nation, thinking that this is the culture, this is the way to go. And really, it could be every ism at a different time. There's socialism, humanism, feminism, all these isms at every time swept up people to, to follow into uh, you know, a deep abyss of nothing. And the, this is the Yetzirah, that's his modus operandi. And nowadays, he takes a form in a different way. Whatever is going to appease people, whatever is going to appeal to people, to pull them away from the true path of the Torah. And the message that we need to take from it is that we need to be on the lookout for the new ism, for the way that the Yetzirah is making himself look. How is he trying to get us? And really the question sometimes we need to ask ourselves when something new, when something enticing is coming our way and we're not sure if it's the right thing to do because sometimes even the Yetzirah could come in the form of a Talmud Chacham as a Torah scholar. And in fact, the Gemara brings down that there's a dispute as to how the angel looked who wrestled Yaakov, who wrestled Jacob. How did he look? And one opinion in the Talmud says that he looked like an idol worshiper. And another opinion in the Talmud teaches us that he looked like a Torah scholar. That sometimes it's clear what's right and wrong, but sometimes the Yitzhahara, the evil inclination, comes to us in the form of a Torah scholar telling us that if you do a certain, uh, you do this, you'll be able to earn more money to give more tzedakah, or if you do this righteous act, you'll be better off. And our job is to look through the different things and to try to keep focused on the actual goals that we have in our lives and to not be enticed, to not be tricked into thinking that this new fad or this new distraction is something that we really want or really need. One last thought I wanted to share with you today is that if you look at the end of the Parsha, the Parsha describes to us the chronicles of Esau, the descendants of Esau, his children, and the commentaries discuss why it's necessary to bring down the different family of Esav. What I want to focus on is a specific Pasuk where it says, And Timna was the concubine of Eliphaz, the son of Esav, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These are the children of Oda, Esav's wife. So the Torah is telling us, Eliphaz... The son of Esav married Timnah. Now there's a fascinating Gemara. The Talmud in Sanhedrin tells us a fascinating story. It says, Boya le'agure, that Timnah wanted to convert. Ba Avram Yitzchak This Timnah 
came to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for the purpose of converting. But they did not accept her as a convert. After she wasn't accepted, she went and became a, a concubine, a pilegesh, to Eliphaz, the son of Esav. Amra, she said, the reason, she said that after marrying Elisa, Eliphaz, explaining herself, it's better to be a maidservant to this nation and then to be a princess to any other nation. From her came out Amalek, who distressed the Jewish people. My taima, for what reason was Amalek able to cause so much grief and pain to the Jewish nation? It was because our patriarchs should have not rejected Timna. Now, this is a fascinating Gemara. Because what does it mean here? We see that Timna married Eliphaz. And from her comes out the arch enemy of the Jewish people, Amalek, which comes from Esav. And Amalek has caused tremendous aggravation to the Jewish nation. And what's the reason? Because the forefathers shouldn't have pushed her away from converting. Now, this Gemara, this Talmud needs explanation. And the commentaries do discuss um, this, this idea, like, what do you mean? That the forefathers pushed her away? They didn't accept her? Surely they had a reason for not accepting her as a convert. There's certain specifications that we have. There's certain requirements that a person must meet in order to convert. Not any person can convert. They have to be sincere. They have to have, you know, they have to be ready to commit to Torah and mitzvos. And if a person's not willing to do that, they're not able to do that, they can't convert. So the question really is, is that why are the patriarchs criticized here for not accepting Timna? Why do we seem to be holding them, quote-unquote, responsible for her going to marry Amalek, who's caused us so much trouble, so much pain? Reb Chaim Shmulevitz brings down this Talmudic dictum and he explains that we know that Avram and Sarah actively worked to actually bring people into the fold, to bring people to Judaism, to bring people closer to the Torah. Avram worked with the men. Sarah worked with the women. And this heritage, this legacy was passed on to his children, Yitzchak and Yaakov, that they did the same things as well. So surely, if they rejected Timna from coming into the Jewish people, they did so with good reason. However, they should have done it in a way that didn't make her feel the sting of rejection. Because it was from that feeling of rejection that venom went into her and her children and caused tremendous aggravation for the Jewish nation. And really, the lesson here is such a profound and deep lesson. You know, people go for job interviews. People go out with people to get married. And part of life for us is dealing with rejection. And sometimes we need to reject other people. But the question we have to ask ourselves is how do we do that? Do we do it very, you know, offhandedly? Not caring about other people? Saying it how it is? 
or do we have the sensitivity to another's feelings to make sure to do our best that no one gets hurt? Obviously, a company can't hire all 20 applicants of a job. Only one person could be hired. And when someone goes for a shidduch for a marriage prospect, you can't just accept someone to get married just because you, you don't want to hurt their feelings. But when we give that rejection, we should put ourselves in the position of the person that's being rejected. How would we want to be dealt with? Would we want someone to call us back and just to tell us nicely that we have, you know, that there's other people that, you know, you were great, but I don't know, there's different sensitivities, there's different ways we can do it that people could still feel good about themselves and not feel bad about the rejection they just received. And really, I feel like this lesson is something that we should have in our minds when we get rejected, unfortunately, that don't take it personally, even if we're not treated in the best possible way. And to use that feeling going forward that if we ever have to be the ones to give that rejection, to say no to somebody, we should remember how we felt to deal with people easily, caringly, to make sure that they still have their self-confidence and self-esteem by the time we have to say no to them. So with that, I'm going to finish for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to reach out, please feel free to send me an email at rabbishlomakon, K-O-H-N, at gmail.com. Have a great day.